Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky and M's name is M, and it is time for the first ever annual Pulpy Awards. <laughs> maybe, maybe Pulpy Movie Awards because we might do a music one too. I don't know yet, but uh, yeah, M, uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, pulpy sounds so visceral, so I'm excited mm-hmm. to. Uh participate maybe talk about titan <laughs> yeah we <laughs> that's a pulpy film right that's there a pulpy we're movie. we're gonna we're gonna go over some of our favorites we have all the classic categories here we're gonna run through them and uh we're you know gonna pay mind to all the controversies this is a show about what divides us so we're not uh shying away from anything we're gonna talk about uh, some of our hot takes and some of the hot takes that are out there in the ether so I don't think uh, that we have anything else to go over before we get started. Um, yeah, I guess I guess we can just we could just get right into it. Yeah. Now, uh, do you want to go with a first category, or just talk about movies in twenty twenty one in a more general sense? I we could start by going more general. I am going to point out a couple movies th- from this year that I have not seen yet that that may end up like in the long run <laughs> having a place on this list and a couple of movies that I'm counting for 2022 as well. So the big ones I haven't seen are Memoria, The Souvenir Part 2, Drive My Car, Coda and Lamb and uh Cyrano Petite Maman the worst person in the world and we're all going to the world's fair I am counting for 2022 Uh aha okay interesting yeah I was thinking about cutoffs from 2020 to 2021 when compiling my lists so Mm. some things may be disputed um did you make a cutoff no I just went by vibes I I did have I was considering I I mean I you know I keep a list throughout the year so I was considering the like 2020 Oscar season movies that um the, that came out in 2021 I'm trying to see if anything actually ended up making it onto the list and I don't think so uh right. I was thinking about um Judas and the Black Messiah which got nominated for the last Oscars but did come out in 2021 uh so you will see that on my list spoiler i definitely came close to having judas on here i also came pretty close with um white tiger which i don't think is on here but it could be so yeah those the, those are the the two that i kept around but there's also like nomadland and minari that are and the father did i put the father on here i might have we'll see uh <laughs> i think i counted shiva baby towards this year oh for sure yeah definitely that was what I saw after my uh, first dose of the vaccine. Huge, mm-hmm. just ailing and uh, string-based anxiety. My first uh, post-vaccine movie theater experience, I actually did go to a movie theater in December of 2020 to see Promising Young Woman. Uh, but my first one after getting the shot was Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk uh, action movie, which I thought was very good. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Uh, the two big ones that I was planning on seeing this week to catch up before uh, the awards, but did not manage to are Last Duel and Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, both. Of oh, which wow. I'll probably see this week. 
Yeah, both of which are going to be all over mine, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> and that's awesome. I, I want to get excited about them. Absolutely. Going through them one more time, did you see any of the ones that I had left off? No, I have not yet. Um, I did have Souvenir Part 2 and Drive My Car on my, like, to watch this month list. Um, but time is so limited. <laughs> yeah, my thing with Drive My Car is I feel like I'll see it eventually and, I, and I'll like it, but it's just very much in that, like... You know that that Seinfeld joke where Elaine's at the video store and she sees the one that's like the pain and the yearning, an old woman experiences pain and yearning, 192 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Which was chosen by a teenager is the end of that episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just like, you know, I, I suspect it'll be uh, sort of in that bag. And those are the kind of movies that I appreciate a lot, but don't tend to make my like best of the year lists but i don't know again haven't seen it yet for sure souvenir part two i honestly tried to watch and there just isn't a good bootleg out there yeah that'll be one to hunt around for yeah so yeah i think that's a great place to get started uh my first category that i have here i guess we'll go up to best picture and best picture will be like the big reveal um but uh my first one is score did you do score uh i did do score i have thoughts about what's happening with scores generally (laughs) Sure. <laughs> uh, so absolutely just crazy year for scores being written by aging rock musicians. Oh, for, yeah. Huge year Fuck. for Johnny Greenwood alone, who did Spencer, Johnny. Power of the Dog, and Licorice Pizza. When did I he mean, sleep? I mean, come on. Legendary. I guess Radiohead doesn't have anything happening right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then the Desner brothers who are in the national did the score for come on, come on. Um, That's true. And they also, they wrote the music for Cyrano, which we're doing for, oh. tw- which I'm counting for 2022, but they also, that's, and I think they had, an, or no, it might've been, it was just the national. It was members of the national, <laughs> you know, there's only so many. Yeah. A score that I thought was really interesting and will be on my list uh, was together together by uh, Alex Summers, who. Oh shit! Yeah, a lot of the uh, production and co-writing for uh, Sigur Ross. So very cool. Interesting year for guys in rock. Absolutely, and I mean, obviously, uh, Nine Inch Nails were sort of the trendsetters in that regard. And I don't think they did a score this year, but they did produce the Halsey album. Which, again, yes, if we do a music awards, we might so talk about bizarre. that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, definitely a big year for the rock guys. That's always the stuff that I gravitate towards, though. Like, I'm not a a soundtrack listener very much. And I always like either when watching a movie or when like considering what my favorite soundtracks are, I always gravitate towards the ones that are like really weird and off kilter and sort of unsettling, you know, so that I, I'm, I'm down for that trend. I agree as a rock listener um, myself and also someone who... I really respect the craft of being a film composer, but I think I just don't have the understanding that would give me a greater appreciation. Definitely. So for the listeners at home, we have our five nominees in each of the categories and 10 for best picture. I'm going to go through my nominees and I'm going to go through theirs and I will be picking, I don't know if you will, I'll be picking a winner live uh, just based off the vibes of our conversation. I have some categories where I feel very secure and others where it could change at any moment. So let's go through our nominees and then we will sort of talk about them more in depth. My five nominees for best score are... 
Bryson Aaron Dessner, come on, come on. Johnny Greenwood, Spencer. Daniel Hart, the Green Knight. Mika Levy, Zola. And Hans Zimmer, Dune. Very nice. Uh, I have some overlap. I have the Dessner brothers for Come On, Come On. Alex Summers for Together, Together. Uh, Johnny Greenwood for Spencer. And Johnny Greenwood for Power of the Dog. Uh, and final, la- lastly, uh, Robert Aiki Abu Lo, who goes by Likens for Candyman. Yes, I definitely considered Candyman in a couple of these categories. I feel like I slept on Candyman this entire year and only in making this list was I was like, man, Candyman's really good. <laughs> it's really good. I don't like horror movies. I-, I can't handle it physically. But this one, I just like walked around a grocery store for two hours after trying to come down from. It was amazing. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, relative to the last couple years, there was not as much going on in terms of black cinema. But I mean, you know, Candyman was was out there. It was a hit and it was, uh, you know, a really weird and cool <laughs> and interesting movie. And a lot of that was a, a site of discourse, I think, because there were people on the one hand saying that it was too on the nose. And then other people pointing out that the other Candyman movies are extremely on the nose as well. And that's kind of the part of the charm of the of the series, which is sort of the side that I'm on. Yes, I agree. I think it fits into the canon of Candyman. Like it's always been an explicitly political and about racial trauma series. So Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that it has evolved to be about the way that racial trauma looks in the year 2021 makes perfect sense yeah and i you know a fitting thing to bring back in in 2021 uh i did think setting it in the world of like contemporary art was uh an interesting choice Frank, i loved it um i was an art history major in college and i feel like i've participated in a lot of conversations about the ways in which race plays out in contemporary art and the sort of placating and talking around race. And it felt very real in those terms. Yeah. And, you know, I can think of a a number of movies in the last couple of years that I've explored that I, uh, yeah, Candy Man's good. I don't know. (laughs) I guess that's where we started there. So we both have uh, the Come On, Come On score in our nominees here. That was one that I sort of like, had to come back around on because I, you know, I liked Come On, Come On when I saw it and I didn't think about it much after that. And so as I was getting into this, this uh, score thing, there were a lot of scores to choose from, but I just listened to it again and I was like, yeah, that was, that was really good. Yeah, I only saw Come On, Come On recently, so it was kind of at the top of my mind, uh, but I thought it was a very compassionate and uh, tangible score. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, I, I think that's fitting with the, the kind of film that it is. Uh, to pay mind to Johnny Greenwood, <laughs> who did, I feel like you could say like two and a quarter scores this year, because there's yes. not a lot of score in Licorice Pizza. But uh, yeah, I mean, what a fucking year for that guy. <laughs> like, he's obviously been around for, and, you know, been doing scores pretty consistently, but he, he really came out of nowhere this year. I felt very strongly that Spencer was my favorite of the of the three or of the two, whatever it is, just again, because I like these like off-kilter things. I like the way that like brass is used in it. And I, I don't know, it just, 
hit all the right notes for me. And I think it fits like, you know, Power of the Dog is this really like big and placid kind of environment. And Spencer is really like frantic and and mind bendy almost. So I feel like the, the, the score just resonated with me more because of that. Yeah, I thought the combination of discordant jazz and sort of very austere strings was so beautifully underlining of Kristen Stewart's performance. I liked Power of the Dog a lot. I also just am interested in uh, the canon of the Western as a genre and Mm -hmm. the ways in which he plays with a really haunting and uh, parsed down version of what a Western score should be. That's very interesting. The other ones I have here are Green Knight. I I don't know. It it was just something I came back around on and I was, I found myself going back and forth with Green Knight and Macbeth in a lot of ways in this list, but like the score for Green Knight, I think is like, I I mean, again, it's just so fitting for the kind of movie that it is and that it's this sort of, dreamlike and kind of painterly in certain ways just just experience but also obviously has these this horror undercurrent to it and i feel like the the score just really captures that energy well zola you know michael levy has done a lot of great scores <laughs> in the last couple of years and i think the, I, I think zola's maybe one of their best it's just i don't know there's something really unique about it and there are a lot of unique things about zola but i just you know i feel like it adds to the sort of tenderness that it has underneath you know it can it, it, it the same with the rest of the movie as it can be like really playful but there's also that really human kind of core to it and uh yeah again just a really fitting example and hans zimmer for dune i mean I, I went nuts for that score. That was like, like my main takeaway after that movie was that's a really good score. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know, to me, like Dune is for Zimmer, what West Side Story is for Spielberg in that, like, you know, the guy's a legend and you just don't expect that at this point in Zimmer's life, he's going to come around with a score this good. But I, I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't think I'm ever, you know, there's so few scores that I could be like, I'm never going to forget that. I don't think I'm ever going to forget the Dune score. That rocks. Dune is one that I intentionally did not watch because I knew I wouldn't like it sure. um, as a movie, but I might listen to the score separately because I do, you know, really love Hans Zimmer scores and you make it sound very compelling. So we talked about Candyman, but we didn't talk about the score so much. And I thought the choice of someone who is an experimental sound artist and also a sound designer to do this score uh, was really interesting. It felt very spatially orienting, uh, understanding where the figure of the Candyman is looming. Mm. The musical cues that were given were really great. Horror scores are generally so fun. Made Makes me wish I liked horror movies more. Mm-hmm. I feel that, yeah. I like definitely a lot of the ones I was considering were horror scores, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't tend to enjoy the movies that much. What a fun medium to work in. Exactly. Yeah, and then the last uh, score together, together, I thought was just understated in a really lovely way. The emotional beats of that movie are so soft that having that mirrored so beautifully, it was, it, it stuck with me. Uh, isn't one that I'll probably re-listen to a ton, but really 
lovely. It, it's it's interesting that you even brought it up because I didn't revisit that score at all. You know, I you know had my whole list and I was looking through them in every, every category. And um, yeah, it wasn't one of my takeaways from the film, but I guess it does add a lot to the the kind of tender atmosphere that that movie has. That uh, I think it, I, I think it could have been something. You know, it is a funny movie. I, I think it could have been something that approached more of a you know Judd Apatow sort of dramatic comedy. And I feel like it. You know, part of what puts it in that sweet spot is the is the score. Well said. Okay, how you want to announce our winners? Let's just do it. Uh, as I as I'm talking through everything, I really feel like I have to give my award to Hans Zimmer and Dune again. Just a just an unforgettable score. I really I I, I don't know if I should say more about it, but yeah shout out to Zimmer I did not think I would be giving if you if you told me just in a previous year that I'd be giving this award to Zimmer I'd be surprised but yeah yeah um and my award I don't want it to be a twofer but it feels like when I give an award to Johnny Greenwood it's gonna be a two for one uh but for power of the dog to okay very nice Let's move on to our next category. I did uh, prepare nominees in the original song category. I don't know if you did. I did not. Well, then I will just go through them real quick and then pick my winner. So my nominees are Be Alive by Beyonce from King Richard, Black Woman by Fatumata Diawara and Lauren Hill from The Harder They Fall, Blast Off by Flo Millie from Bruised, Edgar's Prayer by Jamie Dornan from Barb and Star, and Welcome to the Internet by Bo Burnham from Inside. (laughs) What an incredibly varied category. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's quite a run here. There are a lot of, yeah, there weren't so many songs I was considering, but just a a really varied roster. And I ended up with a pretty strong five here. Like, I feel like I would feel happy about giving any of these the award. I'm trying to see if there are any movies in here that I don't talk about elsewhere. This is definitely my only nomination for King Richard. And it's not my only Heart of They Fall nomination, but uh, Bruised, it's my only one for that. And then Inside as well, it's my only one for that. So uh, I I guess I'll just go into the films real quick uh, as I'm going through them. For Be Alive by Beyonce and the song King Richard, it's a great Beyonce song. I remember, you know, sort of jamming in the theater on the way out as it's showing these pictures of Venus and Serena, you know, sort of this montage of their success. The movie itself, I think, is uh, okay. (laughs) It's sort of, um, it strikes a weird tone at times in terms of its protagonist and like what it wants to say about them, about him. I also feel like, I like the idea that there's this lack of emphasis on Venus and Serena and it really is uh, Richard's story. I do kind of feel like they could have, even though it takes place in the time where they're focusing on Venus, I feel like they could have done more to balance out Venus and Serena and have, you know, both of their success play more of a role in it. And yeah, you know, good Will Smith performance, uh, great cast in general. Ingenue Ellis is really good. The kids are really good. Uh, an, an okay movie, that one. And then uh, Black Woman from The Harder They Fall. As I said, I do have more Harder They Fall stuff coming up. Uh, very effective movie. I really, you know, the cast is great. The direction is good. The music is a big part of it. And I think there's a lot of really interesting choices made in terms of the type of music and how it's paired with the, uh, you know, the Western genre. There's a lot of like very playful sort of inspections of that. Uh, and this song comes in, in a particularly interesting moment. I just remember hearing Lauren Hill being like, is that a new Lauren Hill song? And it was, and <laughs> it's a, a very good one as a well. A rare thing to get a new Lauren Hill song. 
Yeah, there there've been, you know, in the past couple of years there've been a few of them which is exciting, but this, you know, they 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 don't come every day. It's true. The next one is Blast Off by Flo Millie from Bruised. This is my only nomination in that category. I do think it's a great I I think Halle Berry is incredible in that role and she actually did come pretty close to getting into my actress category. But and, and, you know, she also directed it and does a good job with that. But yeah, the soundtrack is a big part of what's so fun about it. There's, you know, a lot of original songs by a lot of very talented rappers. Some of them are on the come up and some of them are still relatively unknown. There's a, a really strong mix of like established names and people from all, all over that spectrum and just like great women in rap. It's a very cohesive soundtrack. There's a good Cardi B song that also made its way on here, but I am a, a Flo Millie stan. So I had, to, I had to give it to her. And then I have uh, Edgar's Prayer by Jamie Dornan from Barb and Star. Uh, really, there are a lot of great songs of Barb and Star, and they talked about how they wanted the the Richard Cheese song, I Love Boobies, to get, uh, they were going to try to angle that for um, an Oscar. <laughs> Uh, the the big story it's a great movie but i feel like part of the big story of it is the jamie dornan role and i feel like a big part of like i, I don't know i feel like the moment where i was like oh my god this is really good is when he does this song and it's so it you know the the he's so invested he's doing the dancing and the singing and he's you know praying to the seagulls and just so like, happy uh, you nominated this <laughs> <laughs> I love Barb and Star and huge year for Jamie Dornan uh, being not just the guy from Fifty Shades of Grey anymore. Absolutely. He crushed it this year. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about him more as as things go on. But I do think, yeah, Edgar's Prayer is a great track. And, you know, Welcome to the Internet is also a music. I was just saying like the rest of these are, you know, soundtrack songs. And this is really a song that's incorporate that exists in the movie. Uh, and does so really well. My last one is Welcome to the Internet by Bo Burnham from Inside, a film that at the end of the day, I liked, uh, you know, like, like when I came out of it, I was like, I don't know about all this, but, uh, you know, as I look back on it months later, I'm like, yeah, that was good. And uh, it has a lot of, it does have a lot of really funny moments in it. Uh, some good musical arrangements good you know ideas all around and i felt like welcome to the internet i mean it was it was the viral one but it's also like really well written and really funny you have any thoughts before i get to my winner no i think those were uh fun nominees and just in general original song is such a crapshoot of a category uh that i'm glad you you made it fun yeah, in terms of who I'm going to pick as the winner, based on what I've been talking about, and I, I feel bad about something that we'll get into later, so part of me is angling towards uh, Jamie Dornan, uh, the Edgar's Prayer track, uh, but I don't know, Welcome to the Internet, I, I think I'm going to give it to Welcome to the Internet, that's that's my my one award for Bo Burnham. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I, this is Not the only director. time I... <laughs> The only time I'll acknowledge Bo Burnham on this podcast. <laughs> Shout out to my friend Allison, who saw uh, Inside five times in a row in the course of one week. Um, wow. Hope you're doing better, buddy. Did you do uh, cinematography? I did not. Let's run through it here. We'll uh, pick up the energy a little. I have Passing which is Edward Grau. I have West Side Story, which is Janusz Kaminski, The Lost Daughter, which is Helene Luvar, Spencer, which is Claire Mathen, and Power of the Dog, which is Ari Wegner. Yeah, just running through these, Passing is, I, I think, there were a lot of movies that used black and white this year that I thought did not Huge have much of a- Black and white movies. 
Yeah, I think um, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of things that don't really do anything with it is come on, come on, which is maybe like a little mean. Because but... <laughs> my first thought was like, well, if I have to on the spot give a cinematography award, it would be to come on, come on. Interesting. Belfast is another movie that I think does not really use that one <laughs> is black and white very black much. And white well. I think that passing is one of the stronger uh, instances of its use. Just there's a lot of like, I don't know, the way that light and shadow is used, like things things feel sort of ghostly in an interesting way. And there are like these, you know, it sort of parallels when the character is in a white space and is passing and when the character is, you know, in a place where she can sort of be herself you know a lot of big spaces and a lot of fog and a lot of like bright lights in in those in those white spaces and a lot of more like homey roomy you know like that like a lot of people together and it's you know natural shadow and that sort of thing in the in in black spaces so i think that uh yeah it 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 just made a really effective use of (laughs) of black and white and of cinematography in general i think and then I have uh, Kaminsky for West Side Story. Just, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, everyone's raved you about uh, about it, method. but just like that, I love that Kaminsky method. It's it just, I, and I don't like, you know, I look at the the past bunch of Spielberg films that Kaminsky did, and I didn't, you know, none of them really wowed me. But there's just, I, I mean, this speaks to what Spielberg did so well in that movie too. But just like every shot is is feels so like thoughtful and labored and like just really gorgeous you know placements and and arrangements and and, and like like i almost can't begin to talk about it but uh really strong cinematography and west side story i have to say uh lost daughter is very much in the (laughs) in sort of an opposite direction it's a very like it's very close and very um frantic a lot of the time and yeah there's something really really tender about the way that it's done it's by Elaine Louvar who also did Never Really Sometimes Always last year which might have been my cinematography winner uh yeah I don't know there's just something really like intimate and and personal about it and I think it sort of like gets you into that space of like the character the the Olivia Coleman character where she's kind of like you know in such a fragile emotional state and yet so sort of impenetrable at the same time and then I have uh, Spencer, really strong <laughs> stuff in Spencer, I think. I like how, again, just how like frantic and sort of uh, untethered it feels a lot of times. It has this dreamlike quality to it that starts with, I mean, just at the beginning and it says it's a, it's a fable. I feel like that sort of takes you under it right away. But I like the, you know, how wide it can be and how close it can be. And just you like um, a little Dutch angle. <laughs> Yeah, and I like how in the same way as Jackie, it's just it's always focused on Diana and it's always sort of, you know, playing to the state that she's in. I think it does that really well. And then I have Power of the Dog, just, you know, huge cinematography, a lot of like old Hollywood kind of uh setups that i think i just think of you know the scene at the very end as he's kind of looking out the window but there's also i mean obviously these huge landscapes and these big uh i don't know another movie that i think just has a really immense sort of uh character to it and i feel like the cinematography is a big part of that i could give it to west side story i'm sort of feeling right now like lost daughter is going to be my winner and i don't i don't think i can I uh, confirm that 100%, but I am going to give it to Helene Levar for The Lost Daughter. And uh, I don't suppose you did animated feature. Sure did not. We'll, we'll get that out of the way uh, real quick. My animated feature nominees are Encanto, Flea, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, Ron's Gone Wrong, and Vivo. 
my award for best animated feature is going to Ron's Gone Wrong, baby. He's the guy's gone wrong. <laughs> but it but oh so right for you. So so <laughs> I gotta I gotta see more of that Ron's Gone Wrong flavor. Um that brings us into our screenplay categories. Great. Could start with adapted. Let's start with adapted. I didn't have that many things for adapted. I feel like I saw so many great original screenplay based films this year, but I only have three in the adapted screenplay category. That's really interesting because I made a change to my adapted screenplay nominees today. I was Mm. going back and forth on it this whole time. Uh, But yeah, let's hear your three. Okay, so my three adapted screenplays are The Green Knight, House of Gucci, and Power of the Dog. Wow. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) My adapted screenplay nominees are The Last Duel, Zola, The Power of the Dog, the Matrix Resurrections, and Dune. And the thing that I changed today, I had had Shiva Baby in that in, in that category there. And the the thing that kept coming back to me was just like, you know, Shiva Baby is a really good screenplay, but I feel like a big part of it is just the um I don't know, when you think of like the idea of adaptation and how Dune was considered this unadaptable thing for so long, I feel like, you know, you sort of have to give props there yes. j- just for how, the, like, 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 like that they were able to do it and do it so sort of seamlessly, make it entertaining. Uh, so I did end up switching uh, Dune out for Shape of Baby. The other ones I was seriously considering for that category were West Side Story, Old, and Werewolves Within. But yeah, this was the five I ended up with. Let's talk about them. <laughs> Let's. Yeah, I feel like especially with Dune, the fact that the fact of <laughs> the existence of the Lynch Dune, the things that come up again and again about how he just couldn't make Dune the way he wanted to because adapting that work is uh, so insane. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and of course, so much has been said about Hodorowsky's Dune as well, and how that uh, never never came to be. I feel like part of me thinks it's funny that like for the past thirty years, Hollywood has just been like, "Well, David Lynch couldn't do it." So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think you're better than David Lynch? Because <laughs> there's just been this like this idea that it's completely unadaptable, and I, I I don't know. I do think it's really well done, and just I mean I saw it with someone who is a big fan of the books, and she came out like that was exactly the first half of the book. So <laughs> like I, I mean it's a really good script, and um yeah, the fact that it's able to put that out in a way that it works for someone who's read the books and it works for someone who hasn't read the books, I think is uh, really a, a testament to how good a, a screenplay work it is. Now we both have uh, Power of the Dog. That's the we one we sure have in common. Do. Yeah, really good screenplay. <laughs> so <laughs> like just, fucking good. So, so good. I love how today I was thinking about the moment where Jesse Plemons is reading the label for the sauce bottle. Th- there's so much like going on in it and so much of it just takes place in like conversations. But then people talked about like how much blows up in the last half hour and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, it's about this and this and this. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, has a lot of great moments of humor and character and story, obviously, just really, really well structured and well done. Right. I think with the way that you can have continuing exposition in a book, but 
can't really do the same thing in film. Uh, I understand why people have been like, it's a slow start. The first half is kind of not nearly as exciting or like doesn't, the, the pacing feels bizarre when you get to the final act of uh, Power of the Dog. A fun thing actually is that I, when I saw it, I was like a half hour late and I missed the entire first chapter. Mm. I didn't lose anything. You know, <laughs> so true, so true. I feel like, in a way, you could come in at any point in this movie and see the entire story. But there's so, I mean, there's it's so wonderful. It's so you know, I I mean, you just live in that in that space, and there's the the dynamics become so much more intense when you've seen the whole thing. Yeah, I think as having seen the movie, I feel incredible about the beginning. Like I want to rewatch it today even um just because i think i would get so much more out of the first few chapters of that um yeah just a uh, great movie <laughs> great movie and what are your other two uh house of gucci and the green knight the green knight is interesting because it's doing so much like expansion on the story and yet i i, I don't know i think that like the original like story is so singular and weird the idea of adaptation is to turn something into something else. And I feel like this, you know, accomplishes that so well and tells a story that like, I don't know, works in a present context, but has that like, like stays, stays true to the the story in these ways and just sort of adds this angle of like, well, it's kind of a, a dreamlike thing. I thought the like the ending of this movie is so it, it's really stuck with me throughout the year. Yeah. I think uh, considering time, the first time I, I told a friend of mine who's a big Dev Patel fan and also has read the Arthurian legends that they were making a Green Knight movie. She's like, how? That's just, that's a few pages. There's truly not enough there. But I think there was so much atmosphere and so much capaciousness uh, in the movie that I was really impressed. And um, your other one is House of Gucci, okay, which we have talked I, about before. I think... <laughs> I don't know why I put this in here, because then when I think about the movie, I'm like, ugh, it's so long, and it's three different movies, and I'm kind of pissed at how uh, incoherent it is as a whole work, but mm -hmm. I think the reason I did put it in here was that there's so much interesting material in terms of reading the story and in terms of the portrayal of uh, Patrizia Reggiani particularly. Uh, I felt like there were so many really clever decisions. I don't think the movie sees her as a villain, and I think that's a great asset and uh, makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah, it's I, I feel like the thing that put me away from it, like, obviously, there are problems, but I think I was considering it. And my thought was that knowing how much like, improv and like actor based sort of decisions were made in the film, I felt like I couldn't uh, at, end up considering it. But I do feel like, you know, when I when I think of the screenplay for a movie, the first thing I think of is dialogue. And I do think that there's a very good and unique sort of sense of dialogue that uh, House of Gucci has just I don't know what I when I was watching it I was like laughing a lot and you know everyone else in the theater was sort of seeing it a different way but I feel like it, it accomplishes camp 
in its dialogue pretty well, I think. Absolutely. But I do think that Lady Gaga is the reason for so much of that. I'm still just in shock that she improved the line, father, son, and house of Gucci. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> queen. I'll, I'll be talking about her more. I'm sure. <laughs> so looking at the rest of my nominees, mm-hmm. The Last Duel, such a great, such a great fucking screenplay. I feel like that is a film where the screenplay really shines and you know it's it's the first Affleck and Damon collaboration since Goodwill Hunting and it's the first and it, it's Nicole Holof Center in the mix as well I feel like its structure is so I mean it's doing the Rashomon thing but it just does it in this really uh really strong and really well done way I saw someone talk about how it's the ideal you know medieval set film and that it feels so alien that it might as well be sci-fi and (laughs) how do you feel about that compared to the green knight i i think that the green knight is more sci-fi certainly (laughs) it's you know a fantasy movie but um again it because it takes place in this otherworldly sort of environment i think that these characters are really really well defined and you know obviously so much of the movie is spent on that that it, it it does feel human in a in a very particular way and i yeah i think it addresses uh, you, you know rape culture and this the, the this narrative that it's telling in a really thoughtful way and i i like the idea that there are these three perspectives and it seems like they were each i we don't know like between affleck and damon who wrote what but we know that Hollis center wrote the the woman's perspective and then there are the two other perspectives and Ma- damon plays one of them i don't know if he wrote that one as well but like yeah a really great script there obviously there's a whole you know question of marketing with this movie i feel like if they had leaned more into this is the the affleck and damon comeback there might have been something right. there there were a lot it of problems been huge it really fell through the cracks uh but it's on hbo max now so i'm gonna be seeing it this week you know i think disney not caring to market it is a, <laughs> is a is a big part of it but i also think that um in a way so many movies had that issue this year and that issue with you know marketing getting people to theaters um that i think had ridley scott not made a whole thing out of it being a flop it wouldn't have gone down as a flop as much as it has and i think having two ridley scott movies in one year and one was so incredibly hyped up which is half just like gaga herself did all of the pr for house of gucci the the juxtaposition really strengthens that and then my other ones are Zola, which I already talked about a little bit, but I just think that's such a great script. And, you know, taking like a Twitter thread and turning it into a script is obviously a, a unique challenge, but I really like the way that it, um, I feel like it has, it has these four characters, right? It has uh, the Taylor Page, Riley Keough, Palma Domingo, and Nicholas Braun. And I think that, I don't know, those four characters are really well-defined and the way they play off of each other throughout the movie is really strong. You know, that, that clip that goes around all the time, Nicholas Braun saying he's going to yes. kill himself as as their <laughs> sort of argument. I don't know, so much of the movie is that, but it's so well done. I, I probably came pretty close to nominating Braun. He wasn't one of the ones that I was like stuck between in supporting actor, but this is a really strong supporting actor category. So we'll we'll get into that. And my other one is Matrix Resurrections, which was a, a favorite of mine this year. I feel like, you know, it, it's an adaptation in the in the Oscar definition where sequel counts as an adaptation, oh, uh, which, I, yeah, I was sort of going back and forth on whether or not to include that or put it, try to put it in original. But I feel like it fits here. Because, I mean, in a way, Red Resurrections is particularly like adapting the Matrix. There are a lot of things I love about that movie, and I think the script is a big part of it. 
you know, when people point to a lot of the issues with it, they talk about visual choices and action or the lack thereof. And But I think the, the script is what really carries it throughout. I like that it's sort of in a completely different space from the original Matrix. It's more of a psychological comedy. It's sort of not, it's sort of not reliant on, on where the action goes as much. And uh, yeah, I think it's really funny and really direct <laughs> in, in a way that I, I loved a lot. So in terms of winners, uh, yeah, I'm going power of the dog all the way. Yeah, power of the dog is, is, is a tough one to beat. Looking at this right now, um, it's between Last Duel and Matrix for me. Um, yeah, for now, I'll say Matrix. And then my runner up is, is Last Duel. Original screenplay, what do you got? Okay, for original screenplay, I have uh, Belfast, Licorice Pizza, Together, Together, Parallel Mothers, and Titan. Wow. We don't have one in common. <laughs> Ooh, that's exciting. That's good. I love that. My five original screenplay nominees are Red Rocket, Prisoners of the Ghost Land, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, Annette, and No Sudden Move. So, yeah, I mean, we've got 10 movies to talk about, so we should, uh, <laughs> should get into it, I guess. Uh. Yeah, I'll go sort of uh, really quickly. I felt like what united my category is there are a lot of really beautiful personal narratives. Uh, Belfast is just such a uh, lovely memoir. And I felt like uh, the pacing of that movie being so satisfying really owes a lot to the screenplay. Licorice Pizza, I thought was that's a controversial pick i really liked it i also feel like things that i saw on the big screen i'm obviously biased towards and i had an absolutely phenomenal viewing experience with licorice pizza interesting the episodic nature of it was uh so beautifully done and you're supposed to feel uncomfortable in this movie the relationship is kind of fucked up but the way that he structures it you're never just sitting there in disgust for too long in my experience the thing is i you know obviously i don't have a pro- problem with like those kinds of relationships being portrayed on screen i don't think that in, you know inherently means anything it there was a weird amount of them this year <laughs> <laughs> few too many maybe <laughs> yeah i guess cinematic trends of the year that's uh hmm, interesting to think about together together i think I expressed in the score category uh, just the bizarreness um, and and yet touching nature of the relationship of the two main characters. I thought it was really believably and well-written. Parallel Mothers, I'm a huge sucker for anything Pedro Almodovar does. I thought the personal story and the larger themes of memory in the face of uh, fascism and intergenerational torch passing in the face of the the, the threat of fascism uh, rising again was really powerful. Really, the ending of this movie was so beautifully written, really blew me away. Uh, And it has an ambiguity that's so satisfying. And then Titan is just the weirdest story, and it's fleshed out with so many fantastic details. I just had 
an incredible time watching this. Like, could not look away for a second because I could not predict what was going to happen next. There are other movies where I'd be sitting at and be like, I bet that's what's happening next. But <laughs> yeah, uh, Stan was an absolute game changer, shocker. Uh, yeah, huge fan. Yeah, I think there's uh, something really interesting that's being hit upon here where it seems like you're gravitating towards stories and how you consider screenplays and I'm gravitating towards dialogue and like I, I I love your I love your nominees I would say that my take on licorice pizza and my take on a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson movies is that the dialogue is not as good as it should be I I I'd considered licorice pizza and I think like directing and cinematography and we'll get into uh something I did nominate it for but I just always feel like with all his movies he's like you know, this is a, a, a two hour plus romance or it's a crime comedy. You know, he's a, like, like all his movies are sort of designed in this way where it's like, look at my dialogue. And then the dialogue is just, I, I, it just always disappoints me. I don't know. I think the Bradley Cooper stuff alone in Licorice Pizza sure. was incredible in terms of. The Bradley Cooper stuff is great. Yeah. Dialogue. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into Bradley Cooper. Um, going through my five here, Red Rocket. To start us off, I love Sean Baker's dialogue, and it's something that I've just picked up on more over time is I just really love how, like, I don't know, this this really exciting back and forth shit that goes on in his dialogue. It's sort of in the vein of, like, early Guy Ritchie, I feel like, just in that, like, how, you know, bouncing off of each other everyone is. And I think, you know, I think it's a big part of what makes this movie so engaging because obviously, you know, his, his, like, visual style is so distinctive, but I also just think that, like, his characters even i mean this is the most villainous character he's ever <laughs> examined up to this point i think but like the the quality of the dialogue is is a big part of what uh, propels it and i think that I, I i try to think of the story also but um this obviously takes place in a lot of you know scenes <laughs> i i feel like in the way that uh baker's movies always do where it's just like you know a lot of conversations and the story is sort of latent throughout but like this idea there's I, I mentioned this tweet I saw once. I was like, every musical is about a weird guy coming to your town. And I feel like the <laughs> the narrative of this story where it is about a weird guy coming to your town and sort of, uh, you know, worming his way through coming out the other side on top. Uh, well, sort of on bottom, but making it on top, topping from the bottom. It, it, it's like a really, you know, funny and compelling and crazy narrative. I guess the, the through line between my picks is that they're insane. Uh, <laughs> Because my next one is Prisoners of the Ghostland, which is uh, one of my, I guess, my pet films of the year. It's the first uh, Hollywood film by Shion Sono, the legendary Japanese director. And yeah, some people uh, weren't really feeling it, but I thought it was a, a really crazy movie. I feel like there's so much great like allegorical shit going on here. And, you know, just like it's this it's this fantasy world that's so distinctive with this like the the combination of like Western and Eastern like influences in, in the, the samurai town and this whole narrative with him having the, the bomb suit that he has to wear and he has to pick up the and he has to pick up the governor's like concubine and he's going off into the desert, the big clock, the uh, there's a character named Ratman who has a rat clan. Um, it's just a completely off the wall movie but it's all in service of this allegorical shit that i think is really well done and interesting and yeah just you know great dialogue a great story there that was one where i did think of story uh bad luck banging or loony porn is an interesting example just like i love the i love the structure of this movie the three-act thing that it has going on where in the first act it's these this really sort of um lived in and like 
you know, there's, there's a lot of like exteriors and just like people walking around and stuff, but there's also these great little moments of dialogue. There's a bit where she like goes into a pharmacy and has to get a single Xanax um, and they won't give it to her. And then, you know, the second act is this dictionary part, which I think is so brilliant and funny. And it's like, this, it's almost like a writing exercise more so than part of a film. But then the the way that it all comes together at the end, everything that was mentioned in that dictionary, and then just like the, the narrative of this woman having her having her sex tape leaked and just the, the, this whole history of like, you know, Romanian history and fascism and COVID and sexism and anti-Semitism, just like everything becomes one thing in this great third act yeah one of my favorites actually my favorite of the year um at this point and the script's a big part of that i have uh annette which is you know the the mile brothers little rock opera i love sparks i i love their music i think they you know they're writing you know the story that they came up with about annette is so weird and so well done and there's you know there's like a real a real core to it and a big part of that comes from the music that sparks wrote for it which is very much within their like sort of their, their sort of silly but dark sense of humor i think comes through in a lot of the songs and it's just you know it's such a big undertaking to write you know 42 pieces of music as part of the script and i think it's it's really well done and memorable no sudden move as my fifth that's a screenplay by the legendary the the king ed solomon just a really tight and fun and always moving like crime movie you know this is this is a, a real ensemble film there's so many characters in it and we'll get into that later but just like this incredible script that Soderbergh picked up and just just got dropped on HBO Max so quietly. So yeah, I guess that takes us into into our winners. Unless you have something else to say. No, uh, that's it. My pick for original screenplay is Titan. It's a good pick. My pick for original screenplay. Yeah, I'll give it to uh, Annette. Awesome. Excellent. This brings us into the acting categories. Yes. Um, Yes. Can we start with supporting actor? I'm excited to do so. Uh, I have nominated Jamie Dornan for Belfast, Lambert Wilson for Benedetta, Jeffrey Wright for French Dispatch, uh, Cody Smith-McPhee for Power of the Dog, and Bradley Cooper for Licorice Pizza. Very exciting stuff. Do we have any in common? I think we have one in common at the end of the day, but I had a lot of trouble narrowing down this category and there ended up being uh three performances that came within an inch of being on here uh my five nominees are ben affleck the last duel jonathan groff the matrix resurrections simon halberg annette alex wolf old and jeffrey wright the french dispatch and the the three that came within an inch of being on here were uh, Jamie Dornan for Barb and Star, Willem Dafoe for Spider Man, and Bradley Cooper for Licorice Pizza. Interesting. Yeah, I had a hard time. Even in my Google Doc, I have Jamie Dornan written with Barb and Star or Belfast question mark mm-hmm. because I just wanted to mark what an incredible year it is for him. But ultimately, what did it for me? towards Belfast was his singing scene in Belfast is so Mm. incredibly uh, romantic and compelling. And I think he gives a better singing performance in that than Barb and Star. An incredible year for him, for sure. I felt like as good as his performance in Belfast is, my feeling was just that like 
I was like, oh, I need to be paying attention to this guy <laughs> with, with Barb and Star, you know, like just a complete, you know, I, I love when actors pivot like that. And I feel like he, you know, made that transition so smooth, gave such a good per- comedic performance in uh, Barb and Star. And yeah, now I'm looking out for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to see what he does next. We both have Jeffrey Wright for French yes. Dispatch. And we talked before recording about whether the performances in French Dispatch could be counted as uh, leads or supporting and settled on the fact that they are all supporting roles because it is an episodic yeah. film. I mean, just, just so like, like I've been paying attention to Jeffrey Wright. And I think maybe even as I was going into this movie, I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to what Jeffrey Wright's going to do. But I feel like he really sets himself apart as just bringing so much to that like Wes Anderson guy character where you know it's a thing that so many people do and so few people can bring like as many layers as he does to it he's like like he could be the next Bill Murray of like Wes Anderson movies going forward just because he like such a specific character that he plays in this and such a a a layered and like I you know obviously very uh, verbose and you know doing all this all this Wes Anderson shit but there's just like I don't know something so precise about it right and then in the way that it is a pastiche uh to baldwin i think his study and respect is really really remarkable uh i have a lot of issues with this segment of the movie and with how wes anderson uh of course when you're talking about american expats in france and writers of that type you have to talk about James Baldwin. How could you not? And then this segment having to do with this sort of comical French police um, really rubbed me the wrong way because you're putting the one prominent black character in the way of the police. And I felt like this movie in general was wishy-washy on like carceral settings and playing with the police in ways where I was like, I understand that you're Wes Anderson, but don't do this, you dumbass. Uh, see, I, I feel like I feel like prison is such a huge part of that movie's like meaning, though. I feel like it, it, it it's so integral to all three of the stories, that idea of like of like crime and punishment and, you know, uh, policing and institutionalization. I, I, I don't know. I, I felt like it was essential. I didn't think it was a strong enough thorough line in the stories that the way it was done in the Jeffrey Wright segment made sense. And also in thinking about like the amount of reference to James Baldwin in that as someone who is uh, extremely anti-cop and talking about anti-black violence of the police and also applying a framework of transnational colonialism to a lot of what he wrote and did is just it, it made me kind of sad. Very cool. So who who, who else you got? Uh, it's cool to be sad. Yeah, very cool to be sad. <laughs> uh, like Lambert Wilson uh, in Benedetta as the uh, nuncio when he realizes that he has the plague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a smooth transition? Was that very cool? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I thought the way that he played power in the role of the nuncio, uh, there was so much happening in his hands and face together 
that was really masterful. I really loved the ambiguity of so many things in Benedetta, but his performance as someone who is trying to procedurally figure out uh, what to do and sort of suppress the threat to himself, but also uh, is experiencing something completely unforeseen and uh, is is experiencing fear uh, for his life and uh, penitence in a way that is absolutely fantastically exciting to watch on screen. Absolutely. I was definitely really struck by the sort of institutional figures in Benedetta. I came pretty close to nominating Charlotte Rampling, uh, but I really, I didn't even think about the Nuncio. I, I, I think there's something to both of those characters about how they are like, y- you know, someone younger will, will go up to them and be like, but, but, you know, she's lying. It's a fraud. And they, you know, they very much have this attitude that it doesn't really matter if it's a lie or not. It's like that, like the institution is more important than the individual actions. I don't know. Just really interesting uh, stuff going on with those characters. Then my next nominee is uh, Cody Smith McPhee for power of the dog. Yes. I think so much of the way I chose individual actor nominations is about how hard it is to play a subtle line uh, that they're balancing in. And with Cody Smith McPhee, the calculated aspects of that character's personality, I I guess the gay little affectations uh, are Mm -hmm. not stereotypical, not overplayed. Like it could be almost comical in another actor's hands, but I thought it was a really tastefully well-built character. Definitely. And again, I like the the turns that that character takes near the end of the movie are so well done and just sort of mind-boggling. Yeah, he does that really the well. The last scene where he has a glove on, puts down the rope with the glove, looks out the window and smiles. Earth-shattering performance, I think. Absolutely. No one else could do that. Yeah. And then finally, I have Bradley Cooper in uh, Licorice Pizza, which is just so much fun. He's so dialed up to 11. I think he had so much fun playing an absolute asshole who didn't have yeah. nuance in him. Uh, <laughs> so fun. Uh yeah, I just keep thinking about him smashing car windows. Like, he's really acrobatic in that. Um, it's just yeah. a pure delight. Yeah, an amazing uh, turn by Bradley Cooper there, for sure. I love just, you know, <laughs> a highlight of the movie for me, for sure. But I, I love just thinking of, like, you know, what, what Alana is sort of, like, grappling with something. It's like a sad moment, and then he's just in the background smashing, like, the window to the post office. Like, he's just, you know, throwing the garbage can and all that. Like, I don't know, just seeing him freaking out. Sort of, <laughs> sort of just, like, as a constant of life, I, I think is really well done. The, the story behind that is crazy for me because the actual guy was a producer on A Star Is Born. <laughs> So I wonder if it if it I wonder if it worked out that way where like Anderson was sort of writing licorice pizza and Bradley Cooper was like you know I, I just I just work with Todd Peters and I have all these stories about him. Mm. The rest of my list uh, we were talking about how we decided French Dispatch was uh, all supporting. I made the same choice with Old. 
which you did not see, but it, it, it's not an anthology, but it's just like it very much. I mean, part of it is that the characters are aging and in some cases it's several actors playing the characters, but also in the first half, it's very focused on the parent characters who are Gal Garcia Bernal and um, Vicky Creeps. And then like the middle to the end is very focused on Alex Wolf and Thomas and McKenzie, who are the, the, the kids who have suddenly become teens or young adults. It's, it's such a, again, a really delicate thing to like, get right and not have it feel overdone and i feel like alex wolf did something really special and something i felt like i hadn't seen before in terms of like playing a 10 year old who is suddenly an adult and playing like the emotions of that and the physicality of that i think it was really subtle and well done (laughs) in a in a move in a surprisingly i i mean has has a few like very overt things but is overall a pretty subtle movie as well and then other than that, I have Simon Helberg for Annette, just like having known Helberg from the Big Bang Theory and just, you know, I, I you can sort of look at that show and suspect that they're all better actors than their <laughs> the, the, the materials Certainly. that it could be. But like, I don't know, I was really blown away by like him as this as this sort of villain character in, in Annette like there's such a such like building resentment in him you know the, the just in the I'm an accompanist song where he's just thinking about being an accompanist but there's so like you, you can feel how much he hates that he has to say that and yeah I don't know just a, a, a really striking and again like a like a breakthrough performance I felt like and my other one is Ben Affleck for The Last Duel a, a career highlight for Ben Affleck, in my opinion, like a completely untapped ground for him. I've never seen him go this crazy before. <laughs> and he's like, like, like he's, deli- there's so much like panache just in, just in all of his delivery. It's like a, a really, ju- just, you can't take your eyes off him whenever he's on screen. And that's why I think my winner is going to be, oh, I forgot to talk about someone else. I got to talk about Jonathan Groff for the Matrix Ooh, Resurrections. Sorry, I'm going to give I'm going to give it to Ben Affleck, but let's talk about Groff. Um, I like Matrix Resurrections a lot. We already talked about it a little bit, but I feel like Groff as Agent Smith is such an interesting turn. I feel like he sort of captures the, he, he like has the Hugo Weaving vibes. And then there's also this like this additional layer to him where he's, you know, obviously like a, a, a changed version of agent smith and he's sort of I, I don't know just like there there are a few great performances in this movie but i feel like I, I feel like he really works as a villain and as an agent smith character and as someone who can make a turn and be helping neo all of a sudden and it, you know just a really thorough performance but yeah my winner is ben affleck <laughs> awesome my winner is jeffrey wright absolutely supporting actress Oh, supporting actress. Okay. Well, I did nominate Charlotte Rampling for Benedetta. We forget she's British, you know? That's so crazy. (laughs) Um, Then I also nominated Milena Smith for Parallel Mothers, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, Gabby Hoffman for Come On, Come On, and Dominique Fishback for Judas and the Black Messiah. Wow. Another uh, another clean sweep. Yeah. Who you got? No overlap there at all. My five are Tiffany Haddish for Bad Trip. That was a great performance. Yeah. Catherine Hunter for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Dakota Johnson for The Lost Daughter. Thomas and McKenzie for Old. And dare I say it, Jada Pinkett Smith for The Matrix Resurrections. 
Uh, I mean, we can start by talking about Tiffany Haddish. This was a, a category. I don't remember who there was like one person I was sliding in here. I guess Charlotte Rampling and I was thinking about Andre Ellis and uh, King Richard. But like at the end of the day, I was just looking at the category. I was like, something's missing here. And I came back to Tiffany Haddish and I was like, just a really, <laughs> just a really good uh, turn from her and something a little different from what she's done before. You know, she's uh, sliding into this um, really off the wall <laughs> sort of force in the movie, just a real, real aggressive and, and out of her mind character. And I think she does it really well. Yeah, I feel like the movie's just when she's on screen, the tempo changes completely. It, it was yeah. really fun uh, to watch her in this. And in that it's kind of a chase, she is sort of the motion of the whole movie. You know, just like whenever she appears, that's when something has to happen. Catherine Hunter in The Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, playing the weird sisters, just a really uh, d- doing it really well. So much great like movement stuff happening there. And just, you know, she's a, a theater actress. It's like her first big film role, but I feel like she really came across as someone with a... I don't know, just a really, a really unique presence and, you know, really subtle things and just like how they're different. And mostly it's one of them, but it's kind of three of them also. And yeah, it's, it's well done. Dakota Johnson in The Lost Daughter, another Fifty Shades alum breaking out this year, <laughs> playing uh, this, this woman from Queens who uh, Olivia Coleman becomes obsessed with. And it's, uh, I, I, I mean, it's a character that sort of feels like an archetype at first and then like, you know, because because we're so focused on that Olivia Coleman perspective, but then like as we sort of learn more about her and we see the sort of turns that she takes and how she is reacting to being watched by Lita, by the Olivia Coleman character, it's a really great performance. And then, yeah, Thomason McKenzie for old. I pretty much have the same things to say about her that I did about Alex Wolf. I think she probably has a better performance than Alex Wolf, but yeah, just, you know, taking like a taking that idea of playing a young kid as an adult and just doing something completely unique and subtle and moving about it just yeah great stuff and a great horror performance too you know just uh that works as a scream scream queen as well i think and then jada pinkett smith for matrix resurrections you know she's kind of doing the the old lady character but i think that when you can do the old lady character and also be playing this very particular character that you played before with that uh element of age and just you know i think she strikes a unique balance and uh, has some great like emotional moments you sort of feel the weight of the years on her and how she's become embittered uh with all that time so yeah good performance yeah uh, so I've got Charlotte Rampling. I think what you said when we were talking about Lambert Wilson, about the figures of authority in Benedetta being so calculating and thinking about the institution is very true. Uh, I think what was very powerful to me about Charlotte Rampling's performance too is the interaction between the mother superior and uh, her daughter, Christina, who is so outraged and making these serious missteps and uh, she ends up dead and the comparative severity of Charlotte Rampling's performance, the understated political moves uh, she's so shrewd. I really enjoyed that performance. Uh, Milena Smith in Parallel Mothers. So good. Is so good. Uh, really just playing a young, scared, pregnant teen so well. Uh, and mm-hmm. then 
turning into uh, a really needy twink, a good uh, one-third into the movie, and the emotional reliance and need, but also righteousness, her on-screen relationship with uh, Penelope Cruz was just uh, incredible. Parallel Mothers was the one movie that I saw after having made this list, and it was the thing I came very close to changing, was putting Melina Smith into Supporting Actress. Uh, Then I have Kirsten Dunst in Power of the Dog. I think the trajectory of this character, there's kind of a spiral to it, um, which is really fantastic to watch. And I think uh, the alcoholic mother is a trope that you can play in uh, so many kind of terrible ways, but her uh, depression-fueled alcoholism is played dramatically but really pointedly i guess is is what i would say (laughs) the effect that benedict cumberbatch's uh character's approach to her son has on her and the culmination of that where she collapses after promising the cow hides to um some native people who came to the ranch was really incredible. Uh, I didn't expect something that would be like so physically moving from her. Then Gabby Hoffman in Come On, Come On. I think maybe even just in the scene where her son is describing her and you see scenes of this character's life and her wholeness as a person that you've been missing uh, because she plays exasperated and suffering <laughs> so well. Uh, that then when you get to see the wholeness and the love, uh, it's really compelling to me. Dominique Fishback in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, also a character that is so politically salient. Like, I feel like she could just be relegated to girlfriend role and then there's nothing going on within her relation to the Black Panther Party. But... There's so much intentionality in the crafting of this character and a lot of expressiveness in her face that I felt was nomination worthy. At this moment, in terms of who I'd pick for, as a winner, I feel like if there was an, if I was doing an ensemble award and I could, but I didn't, I would probably give it to Old. And I feel like my concession to that at this moment is going to be giving it to Thomas and Mackenzie for supporting actress. I definitely think like it, it's the same thing with Jamie Jamie Dornan. We're just like seeing her in this performance and seeing like the the work that she did in here. I feel like I'm I like like I have to pay attention to Thomas and Mackenzie now. My award is going to uh, Melena Smith for Parallel Mothers just an incredibly uh, moving performance and the emotional situation which this character is placed in. I was awaiting the big reveal uh, and what that emotional response would be played as. And I think the the shock and the anger were sealed the deal. Absolutely. A, A great performance. This takes us into the breakout star category. My nominees are Mike Feist in West Side Story, Alana Heim in Licorice Pizza, Cooper Hoffman in Licorice Pizza, Catherine Hunter in The Tragedy of Macbeth, and Agat Roussel in Titan. Nice. Uh, we have some overlap. I have Alana Heim in Licorice Pizza, Cody Smith McPhee in Power of the Dog, Woody Norman in Come On, Come On, 
Agathe Rousseau mm. in Titan and Jude Hill in Belfast. Interesting. Okay, you got you got a couple of you got a couple of kids with you there. That's kids fucking rock. <laughs> kids rock. It's true. We love we love to see it. Um, we we both nominated Alana Haim. You did not end up grabbing Cooper Hoffman, huh? I did not. I I don't know why I limited myself. I was like, I can only choose one from this movie. And Alana Haim did it for me. I think the pivot of someone who has been a uh, successful artist in another sphere, such such as uh, Alana Haim as a musician, having such an incredible debut as an actress was so moving to me. Again, if we were doing ensemble awards... Uh, the whole Heim family, they're so fun to watch the real yeah. sisters and parents on screen. That's the fun thing. I almost felt like I was more compelled by Essie and Danielle and the performances they gave in that movie. Like I was really, every time they're on screen, I was like, I want to see more of them. But yeah, I did, uh, you know, obviously I did nominate Alana and I thought that her performance was really great and really singular. Uh, just bring in a different energy, something new. And I feel like the same could be said for, for Cooper Hoffman. Obviously, there are, there are you know, shades of dad in the <laughs> in the role there, but he's just, you know, I don't know. I, I see Cooper Hoffman in that movie and I like immediately think that's a that's a star right there. That's someone I'm going to enjoy seeing. Uh, so yeah, I was I was excited by that. We both also had uh, Agat Roussel for Titan. Yes. Uh, I just no. magnetic performance. Just like holy shit, <laughs> a real like where did you come from moment, you know? Just like so great. I was kind of shocked that there wasn't even some like minor French film that I hadn't seen her in before. It was just uh... yeah, no, she's a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the thing about her being a journalist that's most impressive is I my guess would have been like oh. She's a dancer who pivoted into film because her performance is so physical. I'm so yeah. curious about the movement work that they did on the set of Titan. Of course, her like dancing uh, and the fact that she plays a stripper who's in love with cars is already so physical. Uh, but I think so much of the binding and hiding of the body is so incredibly played in moments where you're alternating between forgetting and sympathizing and the final scene of the movie she just knocks it out of the fucking park yeah i mean such a visceral performance and so like like so intimate on the level that even when she's taking advantage of this guy even when she's doing things you don't quite agree with you just like that that just the pain that she's in really carries through everything that that her character goes through uh, Catherine Hunter for Macbeth, which I already talked about. And I have Mike Fives for West Side Story. Just, uh, you know, a, a real great, another case of like a, a theater guy who's just so electrifying on screen and has such a great sense of like movement. He's doing obviously this, it's doing a voice kind of, he's doing like a, you know, 50s movie voice, but, but it's just so like, it's another thing where movement plays such a big role in it, but just like his, as a dancer, he's amazing. And as a singer, he's amazing. And he can, he can do this voice and do the, the, the singing so well too, but then it's just like, you know, a really, a really emotional performance as well, because obviously a lot happens to him in this movie. And there's, you know, I, I think the, the cast in West Side Story is generally, you know, asterisk. Great. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it was a real standout. That's awesome. I already talked about 
uh, Cody Smith McPhee in the supporting actor category, uh, and all of the same things still apply for and as a breakout star. And then I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna compare the kids in the black and white movies. Um, <laughs> so what was really impressive and beautiful to me with the Jude Hill uh, performance as the main character in Belfast was he was hitting a lot of really adult humor notes. The way that that character was a memory of an adult uh, was really impressive. And then the Woody Norman uh, performance is kind of the opposite, where I feel like you're getting unfiltered kid. Yeah. And I feel like there's there's definitely more improvisation happening in Come On, Come On. But this is someone who's a more polished actor. He has some, like, British TV credits. First of all, this kid's British. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is that's that's fun uh such a yeah they got us again believably uh, <laughs> rich kid raised in california uh performance and then yeah i think the temper uh and pacing of like this is what it's like to be a kid is so sympathetic uh i think mm -hmm. it's it's a really fantastic performance where i think jude hill is like great at being directed Woody Norman is like bringing a lot into the kid. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I, I think that sort of the through line between that movie and uh, 20th Century Women, I think comes from Woody Norman's performance and how the family dynamics feel like they they factor into his performance so much. And then also he's, you know, he feels really real just as like a kid and as a member of that family. So I don't know about you. I'm giving this to Agathe Rochelle. Yeah, I'm also giving it to Agathe Rousseau. <laughs> yeah! I feel like there should be some sort of, like, unlocking of a level when we give it to the same person. Yeah, it might be the only one. We don't know. So that's... Uh, <laughs> well, me. We've done it. And very deserving, I think. I agree. Best actor. Okay, best actor. In a lead role. Um, I've got... Dev Patel in Green Knight. I've got okay. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II in Candyman. I've got okay. Benedict Cumberbatch, Power of the Dog. Uh, Vincent Lindon in Titan. Uh, and Joaquin Phoenix in Come On, Come On. Very interesting. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about those. My five nominees are Nicolas Cage in Pig, Don Cheadle in No Sudden Move, Bradley Cooper in Nightmare Alley, Oscar Isaac in The Card Counter, and Simon Rex in Red Rocket. Okay, Nightmare Alley is a real movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I've seen the trailer enough times now, but it just doesn't feel like it should exist in this realm. It's like one of those like fake movies that you see a trailer for within another piece of media. Another movie, yeah. I think like... You know, another thing that got shafted by Disney in a way, and like, you know, we've we've already talked about Bradley Cooper, but like his performance in Nightmare Alley is really, really something. Like he he comes into it like this noir protagonist, just complete like he doesn't talk at all in the first like half hour of the movie. And is but like he just like the way that he opens up and sort of becomes an animal over the course of the movie is is, is so crazy. And when you get to the end and you realize like what's happened to him you're like oh my god <laughs> it's like this and licorice pizza this is somehow 2021 ended up being the year of bradley year of cooper bradley cooper philly man that's true so the rest of my five just going here this is another one where i don't think we have any in common no. 
Nicholas Cage for Pig. Uh, this is a big year for Nick Cage. I, I already talked about Prisoners of the Ghostland and I loved uh, Willy's Wonderland as well. But I think it, it's interesting to see a guy like Cage. I guess this is a similar thing to what we talked about with Zammer, but it's interesting to see someone who has been in the game as long as Nick Cage, like find a new depth to explore as an actor. And I feel like Pig is a really unique performance uh by by the standard of a guy who has many unique performances but i just think like there's something so great about how like whatever room he's in all all eyes are on him and like he he's so soft-spoken for a lot of it but every word that he says carries so much weight and there's so much like grief baked into that performance but it's something that only a guy like cage who like thinks so hard about everything he does <laughs> can really like mine and yeah just a really special performance yeah. there i feel like i believe the theory that someone else should be choosing projects for nicholas cage because he chooses a lot of things that are so random and sometimes bad but if he had like a tasteful person reading his scripts for him and really directing what he's doing he's so talented yeah Absolutely. And I think there could have been something that happened throughout the tens where a, like he does Sorcerer's Apprentice and then he doesn't do another studio movie for the next 10 years, another like Hollywood movie. And I think that, um, I, I, I think part of it might be a disillusionment. He's now coming back to play Dracula in Renfield. That's his first, like, you know, big, one. big studio movie in as many years. But, um, I think he might've been disillusioned with Hollywood and there's also like, financial stuff going on where it seems like he's he's mostly just like let me run through a bunch of movies to uh to pay the bills but these last couple of years have been you know really standout performances back to back for him uh going back to i guess mandy was really the start of it but he was so good in color out of space and he's you know really been making an impression uh in these last couple of years the rest of my the, the other ones i have here i have don Cheadle in no sudden move Cheadle is another guy who like hasn't who's been sort of like resting on his laurels for a couple years and obviously getting the those Marvel paychecks but I think that he he's he's doing devil in a devil in a blue dress here but he's just sliding back into that space so easily and like bring you know such a such a like weathered and and there's so much history in his performance i feel like he is really the anchor for that movie in so many ways as it has this this crazy ensemble you know kieran culkin and fucking julia fox and brendan fraser just like like there's so many people in that movie but like the you you need a, a great performance like the one that cheetle gives to really anchor it uh simon rex for red rocket which is you know another sort of uh breakout performance from uh mtv vj and porn star and you know someone who <laughs> someone who has not really come from a background of uh performance uh in the in the classical sense but i think that he adds so much to this role and like brings really everything that that character needs to have in terms of again being a really vile kind of guy <laughs> but but like you know you you need a performance that like feels aware of that character and feels like aware of those problems but then also like willing to exist in that in that world and sort of see where the like you know when when he blows up and you you just feel where it comes from and you see how he's always like thinking about what his next thing's gonna be he's, you know he's a real like slick talking kind of character and i feel like simon rex really just just brings a lot to that and he 
does the comedy really well and the you know the humor in the movie and the more the more serious and like action forward moments as well just yeah great performance and then yeah oscar isaac for card counter just another performance with a lot of history in it and i think that's sort of something that i'm drawn to is just that you know characters who are sort of who sort of bring the grief and the like (laughs) the and and the weight of the past into their performance i feel like oscar isaac does that crazy well in card counter and you know the the film is so much an exploration of trauma uh and i I, I don't know. I feel like just just having this character being sort of brought out of brought out of his his shell and developing this shell. I feel like it's done very well. Honestly, so cool to have categories where we don't overlap at all because I'm really enjoying absolutely hearing you talk about some performances I've seen, some I haven't. I'm loving this. Um, okay, so I went Dev Patel, Green Knight. Uh, I think he plays fear with a face of courage so fantastically i like seeing him in this sort of regal role the line delivery of oh this is nothing this is a rag with the the belt that is uh holding all of his power uh is so funny uh but Mm -hmm. funny in a way that doesn't take you out of the movie i'm really just was so happy to see him and not disappointed at all uh in the green knight then i have uh yaya abdul mateen ii for Candyman. uh i think he plays transformation really phenomenally uh the physical aspects of that uh the way he interacts with the body like of course cgi uh is a powerful tool but you can't quite uh, fake it and make it without the incredible emotional background of that. And I feel like he's turning the screen in really powerful ways. And I feel, yeah, it's interesting to think about the tropes of acting in horror, where he just feels like he is in a drama for a good portion of it. Uh, And then when he becomes the Candyman, that embodiment is kind of glorious. Yeah, I feel like he conveys like the the fear of like being transformed really well. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the moments where he's kind of losing it and being sort of uh, consumed by the Candyman thing, he's like he plays that consumption really well. I feel right. like, and then the way that that consumption plays with the like brilliant mad artist trope is also just. Uh, so fun to watch. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog, someone I generally do not care about and had not found interesting in previous roles. So good. Honestly, something even on watching the movie for the first time, I didn't come away thinking about his performance, but then, yeah, just like as I went back to it, I was like, my God. Yeah, I think the scene of him uh, alone, naked with the scarf, is so beautiful. It's it's basically a dance performance. Also, just fun to uh, see him with the banjo. I also think he just plays really well into that, like, Jack Nicholson, Five Easy Pieces kind of, like, space, mm-hmm. you know, just, mm-hmm. just, just playing a character who is sort of, like, consumed by this idea that like you see how the masculinity and this idea of like America is kind of baked into his mind. And then, you know, I feel like he plays off of the dynamic where he's actually this like 
Yale educated guy in the twenties. And he started having this wild West fantasy he's living out. Like you, 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 you see the layers of that and Bronco Henry and how he doesn't really want to grapple with what Bronco Henry meant to him. Like it's, it's all there. Yes. And his relationship with his brother is also yes so phenomenal to watch. His cruelty is so beautifully played. Yes. Okay. I'm going to swap how I talk about these. Uh, then Joaquin Phoenix in come on, come on a great addition to the uncle canon. That's what we've needed from Joaquin. Yeah, sorry to her. I wish her was a nephew. (laughs) (laughs) That was instantly weird. Uh, He plays the stuntedness of this character really well. And I think the development of the relationship with the kid character is really fantastic because he's not immediately letting the kid in. He's not just like, yes, here I am, uh, an adult, uh, see me as an authority. And I was also really impressed uh, when reading more about Joaquin Phoenix's improvisation with the actual children being interviewed uh, as part of this movie. Uh, He seems so natural and... The fact that the kids are reacting in that way is really uh, noteworthy. And then finally, uh, I have Vince Lindon in uh, Titan. I, I feel like from the first moment I saw him on screen, I started crying. Just the pain of that character is so insurmountable. The scene of him dancing to the zombies and his just bizarre arm movement in trying to make his son feel comfortable in his home and the way in which you're not sure if he will freak out uh, at Alexia when he realizes that that is not his son Uh, in which moments does he believe that that is his son when does he start having any doubts Uh, he delivers a lot of lines that can be taken two ways at once the tenderness of this character and the exploration of masculinity, him alone in the mirror, him doing pull-ups was just really fantastic. Uh, And because of that, uh, he wins my best actor. Very interesting. I'm gonna have to talk out my uh, my winner, I think. But I was gonna say about that performance, it reminded me quite a bit of Matthew McFadden's performance in Succession, mm. just in terms of playing that like feeling kind of emasculated and that sort of sad sack breaking point kind of uh, kind of performance. I think there's something interesting in the in his performance where he becomes a site of horror in moments where we're sort of like we're in the Alexia sort of uh, you know again that fear of being like being like found out and what like sort of not knowing i i guess it's a closet fear in in many ways it's something that uh speaks to i think family dynamics and also dynamics with strangers because there's you know that element sort of going each way it's a really nuanced sort of character and i think he definitely does great stuff with it in terms of who i'm picking my uh my onus here it's really between the cage performance in pig, which is just again, so unforgettable and so like distinct Bradley Cooper in nightmare alley, who is such a revelation and Don Cheadle in no sudden move, which just like, even at the end of it all, I like, I don't think about 
I, I don't even necessarily remember why I was so moved by that performance, but I just like, I haven't lost sight of, of, of how much I love that performance since it, since it happened. I don't know. I feel like I can't give a definitive answer at this moment, but um, right now I'm giving it to Cheadle. As you should. Best actress. I've got him. I'm finally, I'm excited to talk about Lady Gaga and House of Gucci. God uh, bless. Heim in Licorice Pizza, Virginia Fira in Benedetta, Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers, and Kristen Stewart in Spencer. So I also nominated Lady Gaga and Kristen Stewart. That's where we get our, our overlap back in here. We'll be planning to talk about there. The rest of my five are Jessica Chastain in The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Jodie Comer in The Last Duel, and Agathe Roussel in Titan. Awesome. Shall we start with Lady Gaga? Yeah, let's talk about Lady Gaga. Okay, I will clear something up. Many people are saying, is Lady Gaga doing a bad accent? No, Lady Gaga is doing incredible accent work. I think people are thinking about what is an Italian accent? And they're thinking of like broad Roman or Southern Italian accent. And Lady Gaga is very much playing Milanese Northern Italian accent. I went to see this movie with my sister-in-law who is from uh, Siena, from Tuscany. And she said, Lady Gaga, uh, she's just like me for real. Um, <laughs> not in those words, because she's in her 40s. Uh, but sure. <laughs> she did express that sentiment. I think Gaga's decision to not meet with Patrizia Reggiani uh, and to play her as a very clever character, which she's not portrayed that way in news media uh, was really fantastic decision. She looks so good and everything. And just a headline a month since, uh, no, a headline like every week since the release of this movie where Gaga is saying some insane shit, but it makes perfect sense. And uh, she's single-handedly propelling uh, House of Gucci. I wish everyone was in the same movie that Lady Gaga was in, because that would make House of Gucci a mm. really good movie. See, that's the thing. I do think that everyone is doing a, a good job in House of Gucci. It's true that yes. they're all doing different. They're all doing different movies, all doing different accents. But that's another movie where I do think the ensemble really carries. I, I mean, like you were saying, it's a very lived in and thoughtful performance. I feel like it's a narrative that you try to have every awards season of the you know the performance that you really did all this research for and you know the method actors and all that and this is this is the Lady Gaga story this year and I feel like she I I love to see her take on that role because she is so good at being famous but but it's also just she's a really good actress too and she you know uh like you were saying does a lot of uh thoughtful things with this character that you know I guess you could say they're characters in this movie that are not as well thought out but um yeah i really <laughs> who could you possibly be talking about <laughs> I, I really like a lot of fun is had in that performance and yeah the cap the camp factor just really comes through even though it's also one of the great dramatic performances of the year we also both have uh kristen stewart for spencer yes we do do you want to start with this one? Yeah, I sort of, you know, I didn't even need to see the movie to, <laughs> to know that this is uh, going to be the outcome here. But I think that 
Kristen Stewart has had a really interesting career up to this point. She's always, you know, I mean, there's always been something about her. She always had that, 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 that little je ne sais quoi. Um, and she's brought it to a lot of different kinds of roles, but it feels like, you know, in Spencer, she's, she's doing a different kind of role in that she's just, I mean, she's just doing Diana. And it's, it, it is like people have complained about uh, biopic roles that feel like impressions the I I think it works in this case because it is such a such a textured performance, and I've talked about how she's sort of you know this feeling of being watched and being sort of uh, not knowing if you can trust anyone, not knowing if you can trust yourself, and so uh, baked into this movie. And I feel like it really comes through in her performance in a lot of ways. You feel that 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 yearning for freedom and in, in uh, the the things that she does, and like I thought it was a really interesting choice in general to sort of to sort of have this movie be built around her like finding freedom even though like with the exterior stuff we know how fleeting that was uh but yeah just a you know a moving performance and a performance that moves as well yeah you're absolutely right um on all calls uh there's a lot of uh just looks that she gives Mm -hmm. which are so incredibly diana and the relationship with the children is played in a way that i didn't expect from Kristen Stewart was really excited by I think it's saying a lot that I nominated her because I did not like Spencer and did not find Mm. it to be a compelling movie um (laughs) but I thought her performance was really (laughs) fucking good we love to hear it uh, I guess I could say the same about my nomination of Jessica Chastain for the eyes of Tammy Faye a movie that uh, I think failed in that, honestly, I think a lot of the that movie's problems are around, like, not really having that much to say, and particularly in regards to the Jim Baker character that Andrew Garfield plays. I think that they could have, by making him more of a villain, they could have, like, I think, brought more out of the story. And they, like, I get the desire to want to be, you know, to, to see it through the eyes of Tammy Faye, who obviously... <laughs> had this love for him but i think that um that character could have been played out more and it's sort of a misuse of andrew garfield too but i think yeah just you know not an amazing movie but like this jessica chastain performance is is fucking wild and she is like doing like a lot of acting and people another thing people complain about is when awards will just award something to whoever does the most acting i'm a sucker for that <laughs> shit and i think that like i <laughs> You know, a lot of it is like the the makeup and hairstyling and just how like into this very outlandish sort of character she is. But I think she really brings a lot of tenderness and a lot of movement to that character. These, you know, these moments where she's sort of taking control near the end. She knows that she doesn't really have control, but she's finally like, you know, putting her foot down in certain ways. Yeah, just taking, again, an outlandish performance and making it, giving it a lot of layers of meaning. You could tell me it was anyone and I'd believe it as much as I do that it's Jessica Jastain. Like she, you know, is completely transformed in in this role. The rest of my five, I have Jodie Comer in The Last Duel, who definitely completely crushes it, is, is you know, playing such a complicated <laughs> kind of role in this and you know obviously playing a victim in a way that if this had been as is and it had been kind of from the from the Matt Damon perspective let's say I think that the 
that 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 character would have come off really you know wooden but like i think it sort of plays off of that idea by giving us that matt damon perspective at the at the outset and having us sort of see her the way that he sees her but then sort of seeing these layers of you know her personality and her depth come out culminating in getting a whole chunk of the movie from her perspective and just seeing so much of her world at that point i feel like she strikes that balance really well and finally i have i got Roussel for Titan, who we've already talked about, but just an incredible performance. Yeah, I think the reason I didn't nominate for Best Actress for that one is that so much of that performance in the second half of the movie has to be about playing as little as possible in the eyes of everyone she's interacting with i was paying so much more attention to uh the vincent lindon performance at that point interesting i, f- I feel like i was always very aware of of her and the the, the layers of her performance so that, that is an interesting perspective uh well someone i also already talked about is alana heim in licorice pizza I have uh, Virginia Fira for Benedetta. I listened to the episode of uh, the podcast Blank Check about this movie, and it made me like this performance more the more I thought about it. Uh, First of all, they talked about uh, someone saying that it's not believable because that's a face that's seen an iPhone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is so true. She has like the way her hair is colored. Uh, her roots are visible. She's like very... Uh, Virginia Fira started as like a Belgian TV presenter and had then been in some rom-coms. I feel like that works so well though for, for the character exactly. that she is. Like she, she feels like she's from a different time period. Yeah, I think having that be very contemporary. The ways in which uh, Paul Verhoeven plays with contemporaneity and also uh, his commitment to being historically accurate uh, and mm-hmm. him as a biblical scholar, I find very interesting. He did not give her direction about whether or not Benedetta believes in the things that she is communicating to others so i thought her choices in playing that were really singular and fantastic i think it's such an incredible first dramatic role to have absolutely swept me away with this one then i have uh finally penelope cruz in parallel mothers so good it's it's crazy that like penelope cruz just is doing these like incredible in almodovar movies just constantly generation defining performances and then in america she gets like (laughs) what was her latest day american role the 355 and i mean everyone's in the 355 but you know murder on the orient express like yeah (laughs) grimsby zoolander 2 (laughs) it's so absurd um, I do love her as like Almodovar's leading woman, uh, and she's yeah. so good at playing with motherhood in the way that Almodovar writes. Uh, they're just an incredible team to me. In this particularly, I thought the gravity with which she talks about uh the mass graves in her village and the relationship that that character has to memory was really moving. The scene in which Yanis and Anna are in the kitchen uh, and 
Anna sort of expresses like basically an ambivalence about memory and uh, repatriation of uh, these bodies which were buried in mass graves. Uh, the reaction that Penelope Cruz plays uh, and the political intensity of that really has stuck with me. Absolutely. And I just think of like, that shot that's on the poster of the two of them hugging and just like the face that she makes in that moment. Like there's, there's so much weight to, to some of her, her facial work in this movie, I feel like. So my winner is Rochelle again, <laughs> just to put it out there. I gotta, I gotta give credit where credit is due. Uh, this is one of the characters, the categories where I didn't choose, uh, but I'm going to give it to Virginia Fira for Benedetta. Absolutely. Love that. I, I, I need to, I, I'm not up to that Blank Jack episode yet. I, that, that might, because it definitely gave me a deeper appreciation for old. So I feel like it might do the same for Benedetta. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, there's some smart, smart people. <laughs> yeah. Make good points. Next up is the first feature category, short for the narrative feature debut by a director category. <laughs> we, uh, have right now yeah who do, who do you have for first feature um, i didn't watch that many first features so i just have two in this category i have uh shaka king for judas and the black messiah and emma seligman for shiva baby my five is josh greenbaum for barb and star to vista del mar oh i didn't realize that was the first <laughs> feature okay yeah it is yeah well deserved absolutely maggie gyllenhaal for the lost daughter mm-hmm. rebecca hall for passing James Samuel for The Heart of They Fall, and Emma Seligman for Shiva Baby. Okay, so shall we talk about Shiva Baby? <laughs> Let's talk about Shiva Baby. Let's address the elephant in the room here. We're uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, in, in a way, it's in conversation with Uncut Gems, which, you know, mm-hmm. another phenomenally Jewish film, but another one that's yes. sort of like uh, a, a cinema of anxiety, just, you know, you you don't get a moment's rest. <laughs> and, and, you know, Shiva Baby being 77 minutes, I like the way that... I like it as sort of a social horror <laughs> uh, film, you know? I feel like it it mines horror out of some some really mundane stuff in a, in, a, in a very effective way. And obviously a great story, really tight screenplay. I love Fred Malamed in this movie. It's uh, <laughs> so great. I love Fred Malamed, full stop. <laughs> but yes he is really good in this movie great horror great comedy yeah i thought the comedy and horror balance is was really satisfying to me um i had a lot of issues that i'm attaching to screenplay like about sure what it's saying about jewish american life but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you about the length and uh, amount of horror. I was thinking about it as well in relationship to Uncut Gems. Uh, and I just hope that Emma Seligman uh, keeps making very Jewish, very anxious movies. Yes. I feel like there's been such a dearth of Jewish. I mean, obviously, there are still Jewish people making movies, but I feel like Jewish movies haven't been around as much in the 21st century. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I like to see a little more of that coming into play. Yeah, I just have uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. An incredible I, debut. A incredible really like. Incredible debut. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I was I was watching out for this one because one of my friends uh, has worked for um, Black Star Film Festival here in Philly, uh, and they had a short by Shaka King that had won two years before, I believe. Uh, and she was like, oh, this is going to be huge. Uh, this guy is incredible. Um, I think it takes such a big story and he's directing some incredible actors in really exciting ways. I liked it a lot. Uh, I thought it was really teetering a lot. Like there was a lot of, I, I, I feel like uh, in the Judas figure, uh, so much is happening uh, and so much of that is in fantastic direction. Yeah, I, I I already said I think it's a great debut. The rest of my five, Barb and Star, uh, I saw it in like March and I liked it a lot. And then I sort of sat on it for a long time and it was like, yeah, that was good. I came back to it uh, at the end of the year as I was making my end of the year list and was really, I feel like it's a movie that gets better with each watch because there's like so much, <laughs> there's so much going into it and like, like not only are there so many jokes in it but there's also so much happening in the background with like you know the different seashell stands and like they're just mm-hmm. the sort of character of the vista del mar space and there's things going on with like transitions there's <laughs> there's a great scene where like it, it, there's like a seagull in the center of the frame and there's a seagull wipe into the next scene it's <laughs> really good i don't know just like a lot of really fun and dynamic sort of choices being made here. I feel like from a directorial standpoint, uh, like it's a very cartoony film, obviously, but I feel like its spaces feel very, you know, well-realized and especially like this, this fantasy land of Vista del Mar is, you know, feels very distinctive. A lot of that is in the color and the framing and yeah, just great director work there, you know, a good musical uh, in, in a year with several good musicals. I feel like it, uh, stuck out as a unique one very true maggie gyllenhaal the lost daughter uh i i mean a really strong debut a really like as i already talked about just a really intimate and sort of compelling movie where you're just like what is going on here and even at the end you're left with a lot of questions but it's so like uh thought-provoking and you do get so much like this personal dynamic between the characters i feel like part of that is in like how close it is and how close the performances are just you know there very deliberate decisions are being made there and i it made me think of Maggie gyllenhaal as someone who could do a lot of things beyond this but this is a a really strong kind of calling card for her and then rebecca hall in passing i already talked about you know how visually i think that that movie has a really strong idea of like color and light and shadow and space but then yeah also the another movie that's pretty like the camera's very close in a lot of scenes, and I feel like you are never really losing sight of how um, of how the Tessa Thompson character is sort of positioned in a space. And yeah, just, again, really strong choices being made there by Rebecca Hall. And James Samuel, Harder They Fall, uh, I, I, I kind of a pastiche thing too, I'll admit, but I feel like he's sort of, the way that he is recontextualizing the, the Western and sort of playing off of, in a similar way to, there's something sort of Gatsby-like about it, just in how it's sort of like bringing modern influences and hip-hop influences into this uh, 
this genre that exists in the past and sort of just, I don't know. So I, I like how like playful it is in, in playing around with the Western. And um, yeah, I, I remember a lot of things about like the, the visuals and the camera movements of it. It's just, you know, it's, it's it stuck in my head in a lot of ways, uh, even though I haven't nominated it for much, <laughs> just, I feel like what stuck out to me to it was like how much fun it seemed like James Samuel was having with it. And we already talked about Shiva Baby, so that just takes us into winners. Uh, at this moment, I feel like I'm going to give it to Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm giving it to Emma Seligman for Shiva Baby. Great stuff. That brings us into the Best Director category. Huge. Huge one. <laughs> who do we got? Um, I'm talking about people uh, who directed movies I have already been talking about so much, so... I have Paul Verhoeven for Bendetta, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, uh, Pedro Almodovar for Parallel Mothers, Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, and Julia Ducourneau for Titan. Yeah, I mean, I, great stuff there. And, you know, definitely films that we've discussed a lot. I'd say the same is mostly true for my category, maybe a little less so. But my nominees are Jane Campion, Power of the Dog, Leos Carax, Annette, Joel Cohen, The Tragedy of Macbeth, Shion Sono, Prisoners of the Ghostland, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Had to do it to him. Should we start with Jane Campion? Let's start with Campion. I mean, look, Campion's had such a great career up to this point, but I feel like Power of the Dog, yeah, I mean, it might be her best. I think it might be. Out of, I haven't seen all of her stuff, but I feel like out of uh, what I've seen, this is probably my favorite of hers. Again, just like playing with playing with the western and sort of like I, I talked about how it reminded me of five easy pieces and how it also has this sort of old hollywood composition and atmosphere to it i guess i feel like it sort of combines those old hollywood and new hollywood uh, influences in a really in a really interesting way and this is just something really unique about like there, there's a jane campionness to it too, you know like like even though it's sort of indebted to these westerns and these these uh new hollywood movies i feel like it's you know the way that it sort of addresses this interiority ha- it has and the way that it in- addresses masculinity i feel like is really you know really powerful and it comes out in in how it's directed as well great great performances from the entire cast great you know scene compositions and like the blocking is really good i don't know it's just like there's a lot to be said for it. Absolutely. I was also just really moved by her encounter with the original book uh, and the hunt for the rights uh, that she went through uh, because she had so much vision for Power of the Dog and that comes through in the movie so clearly. The austerity, the sort of like loneliness of the Western is really fantastic. So as you said, you've already gone into great detail about your nominees. Do you have anything uh, else to touch upon with any of them? PTA, just fun. Uh, Pedro Almodovar is like, he, he's my guy. Uh, he's the guy. And every time I see like an Almodovar bingo card thing uh, in Parallel Mothers, I was like, that kitchen is all red. Woo! <laughs> it's all mommy issues. Yes! Yeah. Uh, it's gay. It's gay. Uh, although I feel like Almodovar doesn't have that many lesbians uh, or like it's true. by women. Uh, so that was kind of exciting to see. And I yeah, thought he directed. I wasn't totally expecting it. 
that relationship uh, on screen really beautifully. Uh, Paul Verhoeven thinking of him not only as the director of the big Hollywood films that we know him for, but also as like uh, a scholar of the historical Christ uh, was mm-hmm. really interesting. And that's something that the uh, blank check hosts get into in an interesting way. Yeah, I, I said this to you after we saw it, that I think it was... Uh, uh, as interesting a depiction of Christ as I've seen in a movie. Yeah, hot Jesus, but also the questions of faith and doubt and power were, uh, I feel like he's just doing an incredible tapestry thing. And then uh, Julia DeCarno, I already talked about the physicality of that movie that was so satisfying and the weirdness of it. Um, Just fucking hats off to her absolutely uh looking at my five here again movies i have talked about except for macbeth but we'll, we'll like kind of talked about macbeth we'll get into each of them uh I, look i love some leos carax i loved holy motors i feel like annette is it, there's a real fusion of styles that happens between sparks and leos carax where like they they both have this this sense of humor that I think comes through, but I feel like uh, Sparks's writing can be sort of, can have sort of a nihilistic bent to it. And there's something very humanistic about uh, Laos's directing that I feel like brings it all together in an interesting way. Such a crazy movie. So many like great visual choices, you know, I mean, the, the Annette puppet and the way that she's, you know, framed and brought into scenes the use of like these sort of unreal kind of touches with the i don't know the motorcycle the way that uh, like, like you don't really feel like you're in reality at any point in the movie they're like like when they're on the sea they're on the boat and it's like a sound stage that I, I don't know just so many things come to mind there but yeah a really unique style and um very well done i think i love i i always think of the scene where uh Adam Driver's character, the ape of God, is doing uh, stand-up and yeah, just uh, really, really fun stuff. I have uh, Joel Cohen for Macbeth. I've sort of spoken the same thing about Macbeth in a few different platforms, but I just think there's there's something really unique about I mean, there's a lot of sort of magic tricks to it. It's a really perfect like German expressionist pastiche and it has this like dreamlike horror quality to it that it gets down really well this you know unreality thing going on and like a lot of the use of sound stages and the use of like i saw something about how the visual effects were done with like compositing and like like blew my mind but then also a really surprisingly faithful adaptation of macbeth in 105 minutes like really you know gets down everything they get the 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 silly scene with the porter and steven root is the porter and it's really <laughs> it's, it's a really fun moment um and then it also is so unmistakably a cohen movie and you know i feel like he really brings some of that style we know him for and and sort of like minds those impulses and those ideas of like macbeth and lady macbeth as cohen protagonists <laughs> in, in really interesting ways uh, Shion Sono for the prisoner for prisoners of the ghost land, a really striking visual style going on there. You know, uh, Sono is part of a movement. These directors who play off of these really like 
uh, absurd ideas and sort of like like mixing lowbrow with like operatic y- you know stuff and i feel like that that style really comes out in a really striking way in this movie i talked about how there are all these you know weird narrative things going on a lot of really striking images with like the giant clock and the mannequins and the this this sort of uh road warrior thing it has going on but then also the look of samurai town is so distinctive too and yeah just like a really well realized and unique world going on in that movie and of course spielberg for west side story i mean like i what i was saying for zimmer like just you know you don't expect that at this point in the spielberg legacy he has another jurassic park or et or jaws in him but like this is incredible stuff it is just like everything is so complex and there's so many shots that i was like how do they do that it just like got me thinking about the process of filmmaking in a, in a really unique way and also like you know it can be really big and it can be really intimate it has all the, these great things for a musical and yeah just really well done so i guess my winner is spielberg but it's a tentative spielberg oh i forgot someone had to win <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go with pedro almodovar parallel mothers absolutely so this takes us into our best picture category yeah uh we each have 10 (laughs) yep um okay well you know i've talked about all of the movies uh that i am nominating for best picture what have you yeah i feel like i really chose my movies and then stuck with them for all of the categories interesting well we'll we'll breeze through it yeah um my 10 are parallel mothers power of the dog benedetta licorice pizza titan belfast judas and the black messiah Candyman, green knight and come on come on we have one out of 10 in common (laughs) (laughs) i like all those movies i think that's a a fun list there yeah it's power of the dog of course my 10 is annette bad luck banging or loony porn the card counter the french dispatch the last duel the matrix resurrections the power of the dog prisoners of the ghost land red rocket and the tragedy of macbeth I'm kind of baffled to hear that you have French Dispatch on the best picture list. I want you to talk more about that one. Yeah, I I feel like I there are so many things about the way that this film was received that don't really make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Part of it is the assessment that, you know, whenever Wes Anderson puts something out, people will talk about how like how like cute and twee it is and how the sort of sure, <laughs> sort of sure. like self, self, self-satisfied and that it is but to, to see that applied so directly to French Dispatch which is such a I you know if you can just look past it for a second it's such a like raunchy and the uh, like serious but also like an r-rated comedy the kind that like doesn't that no one else is allowed to make at this point like the, i don't know and i also don't really get the assessment that a lot of people who even people who were fans of the movie have that it's about journalism yeah of course like we we do know that he was inspired by the new yorker and the history of of, of the new yorker but i feel like there's so much thematically going on with that movie. I talked about how institution, how like institutionalization plays so heavily into each of those three narratives. 
And I think it's, it's, it's common. I mean, to the extent that it's about journalism, it's not about like good journalism, you know, it's about journalists who like become really emotionally attached to the story. It's sort of about this inherent, like it's sort of critiquing the very idea of journalism and that it's like the idea of journalism is to remove oneself from whatever you're writing about. But of course that's never really possible. So I and, and I feel like, you know, so much of this movie is about like I, the, the, this emotional investment that develops from like trying to objectively uh, cover these things. And we see it really come full circle at the end where they're all writing the obituary about the Bill Murray character. But I think it's explored, you know, in each of these chapters in, in, in their own unique ways. And it's sort of commenting, I guess, on the the consolidation of, you know, the written word and art and that sort of thing, like the, you know, the the, the commodification of art and I don't, there's so much going on and it's also a sex comedy it's also like you know there's so much about sex and about these weird sexual dynamics happening in the film and uh, like i i feel like i could keep talking about it all day it's just you know i was uh i was really charmed by it i i, I shouldn't say charmed because that goes into the narrative i was yes. uh moved <laughs> i was <laughs> fucked by it <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fucking impaled by Wes Anderson. Um, I found the Benicio del Toro Lea Sidu segment of the movie really compelling, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it I could just leave. Sure. So yeah, in terms of a winner, maybe I've already said this, but uh, I feel like at this moment I have to give it to Bad Luck Banging. Just yeah, I was so I was so blown away by the movement of that story. It's so funny. It's so outrageous. Just it's it's the kind of movie that always does it for me. Is one that like where where I'm sort of taken aback by it. And the, I you know I'm a comedy person first and foremost. I love comedies, and I feel like this is a a, a great thing in comedy in the past couple of years. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that. I was aware of it uh, because of the praise that it got at the Berlin Film Festival, but. Um haven't seen it yet and you make it sound absolutely fantastic uh, my winner is come on come on uh yeah so I, just, I love when kids are like valued and loved and th- this family is gonna pull through they're it's gonna be great <laughs> yeah it's it's fun how each of our winners did not appear in the other person's <laughs> I did nominate. I did nominate the Desners for "Come On, Come On." I, yes. I, I threw one in at the beginning, but uh, yeah. All in all, a, a decent year for cinema. I don't think. I, I think it was weak relative to. Yeah, I mean, I even think about twenty twenty, uh, but like, mm. you know, I think. I, I mean, maybe there were a few. But I don't know. Like ten years from now, what I'm going to be looking back on from this year, but there, you know, we've gone over a lot of films that we have very nuanced ideas of and i think maybe that's something interesting about this year is that like there there is a lot of talk about these movies and i guess on on a show like pulp fiction that's something good to have is just like you know movies that start conversations yeah Uh, i thought there was a lot of like very internal performances this year Uh, obviously Mm -hmm. i know that the development of movies is not like one year and then it's there um but it does feel like very covid and and isolation is is a lens through which i've been seeing a lot of these and like 
the prisms of of the complexity of the movies that we've talked about yeah i don't know how it would play at a different time in the collective experience (laughs) sure and thank you so much for joining me on this on this wonderful episode for the first ever annual pulpy movie awards Yeah, I guess my movies were kind of pulpy. Yours, <laughs> I, yeah, I was gonna say they were—they're not pulpy movies, but mine mostly are. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had like yeah. two pulpy movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, to those of you who have been listening to the show so far, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, if you like the show, you can support it through Substack. Find other ways in our link tree. You can also share it on social media and tell your friends about it if you really like it. It's one of the best things you can do. Uh, We'll be back next week talking about music, and I will see you then.